Good morning. My name is Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here at Shepherd the Valley, and I'm excited to be with you as we continue this series called Generations. We're taking a look at what the scripture has to say about raising the next generation. Now, that applies to all of us. Some of us are biological parents. Some of us are aunts and uncles. Some of us are grandparents. But all of us are neighbors. All of us had the opportunity to invest in some way in bringing up the next generation, even as you saw from the snippet of the story that um, Debbie actually just got back. Hey, Debbie, just got back from a trip to Honduras with our team serving there. But you see, even in those clips of that story with uh, Dave, Debbie, and Dagny, you see how people's lives become intertwined with grace. And that's really what we're talking about today. We're talking about raising up the next generation as a community. That it takes, uh, the statistics say, it takes five adults outside of the family to create a positive nurturing environment in order for us to raise kids in such a way that they grow in healthy ways. So I want to start this sermon by celebrating something. That, that exactly is what has been happening for this group of students. This group of students is our most recent batch of confirmands. We do this twice a year now, and when they're ready, what happens in confirmation is that anyone who is baptized as an infant then takes on for themselves the promises that were made on their behalf to like walk the life of faith, to be in the scriptures. And so all of these students here, um, I, know, I know this one looks like a student. This is Gabby. She's our you know, pastor of student ministry. And then Isaiah back here um, uh, on this side, those are our student ministers who are caring for and raising up that generation, who hopefully are part of that team that's outside of the, the direct family unit that is investing and so you see all the students here. Their names are on the next screen. So if you are a parent of a confirmand, you can find your name in there. And uh, we are excited for each of them and how they've taken this step in their own faith. But also how this isn't the, the ending of something. It's really the beginning of something. The beginning of now them taking their faith in their own hands and then looking to pass it down to the next group that will come after them. I've been spending a lot of time lately as I've been preparing for this message thinking about how I was raised. All of you can probably think back to stories of how you were raised, brought up. Um, particularly, though, I want you to think about the first time where you felt welcome in a church. When did you feel at home in a church? It could have been maybe the music that you were excited about or a strong message or something like that. But I think if we trace everything back, there was probably a really safe person who made you feel welcome, who you experienced grace from in some way, or you experienced a connection with. When I think about my own history, I think of Crystal Orr, who was one of my Sunday school teachers when I was a little kid. Now, Crystal, when I became a pastor many, many years later, reminded me that my good, solid Bible foundation came from her Bible class. <laughs> Chris, Chris was amazing. She was an anchor for me. I, you know, she was the altar guild lady. We had this thing called the altar guild, and they like 
cleaned up the table and oiled the everything and like made sure the candles were all set. And like we were all, all as junior hires, we were all afraid of Chris. Because like, you know, don't mark up that railing. You'll be in trouble. But underneath it all, the tough exterior was someone who loved me and made me feel safe and celebrated me when I, when I went through faith milestones. Someone who is outside of my family of origin. Did you know that our view of the nuclear family, this idea of like one nuclear family, is actually a relatively new idea? That the Bible doesn't even have a, a frame for it. Now, I'm not saying that the nuclear family is a bad thing or anything like that. There's strength in that. However, what we can lose in focusing just on nuclear family is this idea of a community. You've, hold the, you've heard the old uh, African adage, like, it takes a village to, there's a child. Now, I don't walk around using the word village very often, um, but I do say it takes a community to raise a child. I think about my own life and how I was raised, and I think about the people who helped raise me, like Chris, but also when I got a little bit older, my first youth leader, Bobby. Bobby, when she was sick with cancer, and we didn't know them, but she was on her deathbed, and we went and visited her, all she did was ask me questions about me and what I was doing. She delighted in seeing that I was growing in music and things like that. She showed me what grace was like. Or a little bit further on, some of you have heard the story if you've been around long enough that I had a a friend named Tim who really challenged me and called me to a life of faith. And he became a mentor for me. And now he's one of my best friends. And then I think about, as I go further, a, a grandfatherly type person named Glenn who was like a second chance dad for me and nursed me back to spiritual health. When I was struggling, or my friend Cindy, who's like a spiritual mom to me and helped me launch a church and does amazing things, even for this community today, she helps coach us. And when I started to think about like all those people, I thought, you know what? All of them are on my favorites list on my phone. Who's on your favorites list on your phone? And more importantly, whose favorites list are you on? as an example of being a graceful person. Someone that when the the hard time comes, they pick up the phone and they call. You see, God invites us to be that for each other. And especially as we think about the next generation, one of my thoughts is, um, on all of their devices, who will be on the favorites line? My kids, who will be their favorites in the call? your kids or grandkids, your friends of your kids or the neighbor down the street? And what role can we have in loving on the next generation in a significant way that they feel tangible grace from God through us? So I want to take a look at a few scriptures that talk about this. And one has been an anchor for this series, and it's out of Timothy. So in 2 Timothy chapter 1, so a little context, Timothy is a young leader in the church. He has significant um, gifts and skills and is called to leadership even at a young age. He is a, a family from a mixed ethnic background. One is a Jewish person, one's Gentile. And so there were some tensions there growing up for him. 
but he was taken under the wing of Paul, one of the first pastors and leaders of many, many churches. And so Paul is writing a letter to him about his gifting and what he's called to do. And he, and he talks about it in these terms. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I consistently remember you in my prayers. Pause. I think the first step for us, like caring about the next generation and remembering the next generation is to be praying for the next generation. There are um, people here this morning um, who are our prayer ministers, Greg and Debbie, who just paused to ask me about how my daughter was doing with her illness and like just paused to pray for her. They remember the next generation, even though they're not biologically related in any way, they remember the next generation in prayer. Who can we be remembering in prayer? I remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. You know, here's, <laughs> here's one of the challenges. Like, we have to like the next generation. Like, <laughs> so like uh, yesterday I played paintball with junior hires. Like, my greatest fear is actually junior hires. Like, um, <laughs> But here's the perspective. They actually think I'm ruthless So at paintball. So, so I dressed as a lobster so that I would be less scary. Uh, I don't know if it worked or not. But here's the deal. You know what I discovered? Is I like them. I like them. When they were running around and being all crazy, it was really fun. It got to tap into part of me. Like this invitation to long for and like the next generation. And, some, and that doesn't mean you always have to like them because I have children and I know I, we don't always like each other. But our posture towards them is one of fondness, an invitation that we might be filled with joy. And then he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives also in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now that phrase is distant from us culturally. What it was, it was an imparting of authority and leadership. And in the Bible, when someone would pray for someone, lay on hands, that the Holy Spirit would do something and instill like a spiritual gift there or something like that. And so what Paul's inviting Timothy to do is to like nurture, fan into the flame, that authority that came from his relationship with Paul through the power of the Holy Spirit. I see four different people in this passage, right? Five, actually. One, we see Timothy himself. Two, we see grandmother, Lois. We see mother, Eunice, and we see the author, Paul, and then we have the Holy Spirit, all present. And this idea that in order for Timothy to become Timothy, it took all of those and even more. And that principle is still true for us today. If we want the next generation to be a people of faith, the people who know Christ, who have the grace of Jesus exuding from them, then we have to live and love in such a way that God channels it through us to them in the same way he did here. And here's an important reason why. He says this, for the spirit of God, gave, what the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, 
So, and the word there is actually translated as cowardly. It does not make us shrink away or hide, it, but it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I think about my own history. Like, Crystal Orr gave me power. <laughs> she, like, encouraged me and sometimes scared me um, into the right path. I think about my friend Tim, who welcomed me even though I was a mess and mentored me and then became my best friend. He gave me love and taught me what love looks like, or Bobby, who invested in me. I, I think about Tim, who also challenged me, and Glenn, who challenged me into self-discipline. You see, the Spirit uses the people in our lives to help us grow in these capacities that carry and reflect the good news that God is for the world to every person that we come into contact with. But if we don't transmit it, it will cut off at that generation. God has several promises in the Bible that as we turn to him, he cuts off the broken negative patterns, cycles of generation, and instills positive and blessings. In fact, a place in Ezekiel, he says he'll bless to the thousandth generation. That's pretty powerful. This concept is not just new in the New Testament. It isn't just for the original church. It goes all the way back to God's original promises in the Old Testament. In the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, that Moses in Deuteronomy gives three long sermons and then he dies. So that's why I have a clock back there to make sure I don't do that. In one of those services and sermons, he gives what's called the Shema. And the Shema is a famous and still used Hebrew prayer. And the verses surrounding that prayer, the Shema, talk about generations. This is what Moses says in his sermon right before the people cross into the promised land. He said, these are the commands, decrees, and laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing into Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy a long life. Now, you have to read this carefully because some of these words in there might be a little bit confusing. Like fear the Lord. God wants to, us to fear him um, the word that, that is used for fear here is like revere or honor, to have, to, to have a sense of awe. Like God is awesome and I am small. It isn't the fear of someone that's gonna harm you. It isn't the fear of something that goes bump in the night. It's an altogether different kind of fear. So we're invited to this awareness of how amazing God is, that he is favorably, favorably postured towards you that despite all of your brokenness, that he loves you. When it talks about all the like, laws and decrees, the idea of this in the Hebrew text is not to have a set of rules that you have to follow in order to be in good standing. That isn't what he's talking about. The, the instruction, that's what Torah means, law. The instruction was given so that all the peoples who lived around them would see that they live differently. They don't worship other gods. They don't harm each other. They don't, if you read the laws, they're all kind of broken down into these two main categories. How do we love God? And how do we love neighbor? 
And so all these instructions are designed to set the people of Israel apart from the rest of the world so that the rest of the world would see their relationship with God and want it and then be invited in. There are several stipulations in these instructions for bringing people into the orbit of God's grace. But if we read it as like, hey, I have to follow this checklist, otherwise I'm in timeout and I should be afraid of God, we're misreading the text. That isn't what this is telling us. In fact, it's telling us the opposite. And then he goes on and he says, hear Israel, be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. Hear, O Israel. So here's the prayer. Shema. Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, lavav, your innermost being. That's where that is. With all your soul, your nephesh, the whole of you. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. Body, mind, spirit, all of it. And with all your strength, your meod. Um, and, and these commandments that I give you today, they should be on your hearts. Have you ever tried to give someone information without, like that wasn't on your heart necessarily? What is it? It's just information then. You see, it all starts with the heart. What is our heart for people? And I'm not just talking about the next generation, but like our neighbors or even our enemies, which guys, like I struggle with all the time, like people who've harmed me, like it's hard to have a a heart that is wanting the best for that. And sometimes the best we can do is like, Lord, you take care of them. And, and, and you could take that to mean however you want, I guess. But, and sometimes I got to pray that over my children. Lord, you take care of them. But, but this idea of like, it's, it starts with the heart. See, God wanted this impressed upon the heart because otherwise it's just information. And what God's after in our lives is transformation. He wants his grace to soak so deep into us that all of the broken places in our story just leak it. And it pours out on everyone we meet in our imperfection. So then he says, after saying it starts with the heart, then he says, impress them on your children. It doesn't say beat them into your children. It doesn't say shame them into your children. It says from your heart, impress onto your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road or think when you drive in your Camry. Think about it that way. Um, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses in your gates. The idea is that these promises of God would be in everything we do that they would be part of the natural language that come out of us whenever we talk. And then he says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. 
here, this point is like true for us today. Anyone have a tendency to forget that God's with us in a good way? Like the invitation is for us to remember. Remember that God is with us in hard times and in good times. That he has not forgotten us, even when it feels like sometimes he might have, but yet he's got something around the corner for us. We impress these on the next generation so that they might not forget. That they might not forget that actually in this world that is full of pain and full of like hard things and sometimes not going in a great direction, that actually God is graceful and he wins in the end that he was faithful to bring them out of literal slavery and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, he frees us from the slavery of our own brokenness and our own selfishness. We want the next generation to learn that and to live out of that freedom. Much, much later, David, a king and also a musician, he writes this psalm and it's Psalm 78 and he talks about the importance of these things in the next generation. He says in Psalm 78, verse one, he says, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. Uh, I will utter hidden things, things of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the, the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, And the wonders he has done. Friends, what are the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord? What are the good things? This world talks a lot about bad things, doesn't it? But how has God been good to you? And how can we tell that story? That in the midst of challenging times, that actually he has shown again and again that he loves us and he's gracious to us. Then he goes on, David goes on and he says, he decrees statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach to the children. So the next generation will know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. Do you see a pattern here of invitation? Generation to generation to generation. And here is why the next verse, then They will put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Friends, our world moves so fast and our scrolls and technology, it will be easy to forget. But we are called to remember. We are called to remember that they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn, rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to, the God, to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. Sometimes I feel like maybe I affiliate here more than here. That uh, there's times when I'm stubborn. Anyone else? Right? One of my ongoing prayers is, Lord, let my kids need less therapy than I did. But this idea is that what we want to pass on to the next generation is the best of God's grace. And that doesn't, that doesn't pass on by trying to be perfect. That passes on by being honest. That Henry Nouwen once said to someone who had asked him, hey, how can, what's the best gift I can give to my child, my 12-year-old? And he said, the gift of you being a growing person is the best gift that you can ever give as we are honest with our broken places and God transforms us by his grace that stands as a witness to the next generation. 
So how can we lovingly be a community for them? What is some of the guidance? Well, there's a few passages in scripture. Um, a few years ago, Pastor Christian did a whole sermon on this called the Alelon passages, the one another passages. There's 99 times in the New Testament when the word Alelon, one another, is used. Always in kind of guiding how we live life together. I'm gonna give you a couple of my favorites as a guide for how we can posture ourselves towards the next generation. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Now, when I read that verse, I'm like, hmm, sometimes I get, like a spur doesn't always feel good, does it? And I think about some of the times I've been spurred on towards love and good deeds, mostly by my wife, who's like, hey, maybe that attitude is not the best thing right now. But our posture towards the next generation, like we are spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. Why? Because God has already given us love and his good deeds. We do because he's done and it's not the other way around. What God has done for us is poured grace upon grace upon grace. And so as you spur me on towards love and good deeds, as Mark reminds me, do not shoot the children aggressively in paintball, you know, um, that we spur one another on towards love and good deeds. In 1 Peter, it says this. It says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, that what wrong has been done to you is not still wrong. Like there are times where we have to like say, hey, like I need to have distance here, but we, it's this posture towards the other of like wanting the best for them. And as we think about the generation that comes after us, it's never too late to say, I want to love deeply. I, you know, when we think about like your, we're all going to have a eulogy when we die, right? Like someone's going to stand up and say good things about us. What I don't want people to say is Jeremy got his doctorate at so-and-so. And is like, I, what I want them to say is Jeremy loved well. Like that, that, that's, that's what I want to carry on into the next generation. Amen. All of you, like all your accomplishments, love well, love each other deeply. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. The word hospitality, what we think of hospitality is like have, have you know, the coffee cake ready. You know, but the, the, word, the biblical word for hospitality is far richer and deeper. Do you know what it means? Love of stranger. Love the stranger well. In our world, we have, it's called um, filiozina. We have another word that we talk about in our culture, xenophobia, fear of stranger. Hospitality is the opposite of fear. It is a posture of love. So my fear of junior hires, I got to put that away. I tell, I tell everyone my greatest fear is speaking to the junior hires. Do you know what I did last time? I got up in front of the junior hires and I was like, hey guys, I just need to tell you my greatest fear is speaking to you. So be nice. <laughs> and they were. Then it says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What can we do? We can love like Jesus loves. I have a ton of amazing examples of that here in this church. 
I talked to my son last night, like as I was getting ready for bed, I was like, son, who in your life has been um, someone outside of our family who's really shaped your relationship with God? And he didn't even bat an eye. He's like, Isaiah Frable. I want to be like Isaiah. He's thoughtful and prayerful. He listens to me. It's like, shh. On the favorites list, right? I want Isaiah on my son's favorite list. Caitlin, who works here, um, she like takes over for us when we leave. Like Michelle and I went to a training in New York and Caitlin parented better than we did. And, um, and like Nar- Naraya can't wait for Caitlin to come. She's like, you guys go. <laughs> but another group that I saw here loving my daughter well is the choir. My daughter starts singing with the choir and they're just so kind and encouraging. Favorites list. Like Lori, who is leading worship here, has loved my daughter. She's the sixth grade music teacher. She's also our choir director. She's loved my daughter well. Then I think outside of that, and I think about like some of other people here at Shepherd. So for example, um, here's a picture of one. Uh, This is Carrie. And Carrie Aldridge, our director of children's ministry, and uh, Jesse Gasso, who makes every single slide that you ever see. Do you know what she told me this morning? She was like, I was kind of half raised by Shepherd. I was like, yes, that's great. Now, her mom, Jennifer, amazing person, also part of Shepherd. Her grandparents, who are probably watching right now uh, the most, we love you guys too. It takes a community. But this relationship here has been special. Did you know when she was three years old, Carrie came over and gave her her first Bible? That is community. This is investment. I have another one for you. This is Dan Coyer um, and his small group. And Nick, um, who's part of that team too. Um, So they, uh, especially Dan, Dan specifically decided to become a small group leader in order to invest in a population of kids and invest in this one group of kids. He wanted to love them all the way through Dan, um, one of his kids was at camp and Dan happened to be up like his wife works for the church. So he went up to camp and was riding his bike and the kid, Eli, saw Dan from afar, left his group and ran and hugged Dan. Favorites list. I mean, and if you want someone like, you need someone like Dan on your favorites list. He's He's awesome. And I would say that of any of our small group leaders here at Shepherd, both in the children's ministry and student ministry and even in the adult ministries. Remember, it takes a village to raise a community, a child. I got an email this week. It's from a guy named Joe. Joe had a, uh, was out for business and got into an accident while he's running and broke his pelvis and like has not been able to get home. And he said this, he said, he was talking about how God had ministered to him in this time. He's new to Shepherd. He said, I've lost count of how many direct messages God has shared with me during this time. One of which is the reason for this email. Somehow, some way, someone from the church reached out to Alicia and offered every imaginable form of support. I can't express what that meant to us. I want to say it now and the next time in person at, for service, thank you. Like, I didn't do anything. This is, this is y'all. You know, he also says, can you tell my wife she's Wonder Woman? So Alicia, wherever you are, I think you're here somewhere. Your husband, Joe, thinks you're Wonder Woman. And Joe, if you're watching, we love you. But these are ex- examples of what it is to be a community raising the next generation. So as I close, 
I'm just gonna give you three ideas. You can write them down or take a picture. As you pray, here's three things you can do. Super simple. In fact, I'll take less than a minute. Ready? One, help the next generation identify safe and trusted voices. Help your kids, help your neighbors. Get the right people in the favorites list. We want to be close to the people who will build us up. Two, model healthy faith community practices. I'm literally preaching to the choir because you're all here right now like you're, and you sing. So you're all here. Um, you, you wouldn't be here if you didn't think that was important. Absolutely. But we come to worship, participate in community life, a small group or something like that, and find a way to serve and let our kids come with us or the kids next door or the neighbors. Invite people to come with us. We practice healthy the practices. They'll catch it. And then three, pray. Pray on how you can bless the families in the sphere of your influence. All of you have a sphere of influence and there's people who need your expression of grace, of God's love. And God will speak to you. It's the Holy Spirit who does these things. We're all gonna fall down. We're all gonna do this imperfectly and we're all gonna make mistakes. But as we posture ourselves as people of grace and receive the grace of God and then leak it out, God's gonna do amazing things. I could tell you a million more stories, but you'd be really mad at me because we'd be here a long time. So let's pray. Gracious God, you are good and kind. You have been planning for generations how to share your grace with this generation and the next generation. God, you have given us your son that we might build our life upon him. And Lord, we pray that you would show us how to love like you love, how to serve like you serve. We pray that we would love with your heart in our heart, that we would see with your eyes through our 